0: If you got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 20, um, verses 24 through 29. It'll be on the screen as well. A uh, couple, Just a couple handful of verses that we're going to read here. But in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this day. We thank you for your many blessings and for uh, our opportunity to be in your word here today. Uh, God, uh, give us understanding. Remove um, what we know that oftentimes there are heavy things that stand as uh, hindrances from us hearing your word and Lord, we pray that those things, those burdens that are outside of here uh, would just be put on pause and that we would respond to you in, in uh, what you have to say to us. So, Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, interesting, 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 interesting week. Uh, I am, uh, over the course of my life, so I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really love working with children. I can work with children, uh, but I, and over the course of, whenever you have like a big personality, everybody's, especially in church, are like, hey, go work with kids. And I was like, ugh, you know? So I did that uh, in my life and and things like that. But uh, it's always really interesting when you're working with kids because they're typically very easily impressed, um, extremely easily impressed. And so um, even with my kids, uh and my children you know they see me like shoot a basket on their little three and a half foot goal and they're like oh my gosh like that's so incredible and i'll look at judah and jaden and any of the other of their friends that come over to the house when i'm in uh, basketball mode and i'm like i bet you i can stand from like here and i'm like four feet away and i can make this shot they're like, no way, and I'm like, yeah, I got this, I got this. So I shoot it, make it. They're like, oh my goodness. Then I was like, watch me dribble this ball right here through the legs, around the back. Next thing you know, J- Judah, right now, my three-year-old, he's uh, super into sports. We went to a, a couple Rockets games this year, and even though they lost, it was just the the, the experience of basketball. And so my J- Judah walks around yelling defense all the time. Um, and when his friends come over, he's just defense. And typically, he roots for the home team of whatever sporting event is on because he hears the fans chanting defense. So he's like, oh, that team, that's the team that I'm rooting for, defense. Uh, and so sometimes against the Rockets, which I have to like teach him no, sometimes with the away team. But that being said, as we're doing this whole thing, it's like dribble to the legs. He's like, oh my gosh, all his friends are like, oh my gosh, people are like, Mac, you're so good with kids. I'm like, I mean, It's pretty simple. Now I say all this to say, uh, they're often shocked, like you can shoot and make that basket. It's like, yes. Uh, And guess what? Uh, I can do it again and again and again and again because it's not particularly hard, why? because my skill level is far beyond uh, what my kids can comprehend and what their friends can comprehend, and what all the little kids uh, can comprehend. I mean, we're sitting there, I remember working day camps uh, with with kids in high school and early college, and we would have these little fake goals and dunk on them and all these little kids are like, oh my gosh, like, y'all, it's five feet. I mean, uh, it's not that big a deal, but they're just enamored because it's not that hard for me to dunk on something. This is beneath my skill level in many ways. Now, I say all this to say, as we deal with the text here this morning, and in particular, we're dealing with the question of what do we do uh, when we have doubts? or How do we deal with doubts? Or what, what, what role or place does that play in our faith? I think it's important for us to start from the perspective of God. And what's interesting about Thomas is Thomas is somebody who had incredible doubts. But the thing that he's asking God to do, to show, to prove, is not something that's particularly difficult for God. If God is all-powerful, if God is sovereign, if he's omnipresent, omniscient, all those things, omnipotent, you know, then conquering sin and death, lightweight. Resurrection of Jesus, lightweight. And what's particularly interesting about the resurrection narrative, especially because it caused so much doubt in the disciples. I feel like Thomas might actually get a bad rep as doubting Thomas because in reality he wasn't the only person that doubted that jesus rose from the dead i mean like the women get to the tomb and they're confused as to why it's empty the angels got to tell them like duh didn't he say this they they go and run and testify to the disciples and they're like what and then they run back to the to the tomb to see for themselves it's not like they just automatically believe they're like what is going on here (coughs) uh sorry Um, And so uh, you see consistently that there are these people that didn't. And here's the cool part about it, is that Paul lets us know that Jesus appeared over and over and over and over and over again to people in the 40 or so days from when he died and resurrected to when he ascends into heaven. To the point that at one point there were somewhere around 500 people in a room or out in a space that he appeared all at one time. And I think that what becomes interesting is that God is not afraid of engaging us when we have doubts. God is not afraid in running from the, the fight as it pertains to our doubts. And ultimately, God is big enough to handle our doubts. And, and I think it's a little bit uh, uh, more intense than this. If, if we could sum things up this morning is that God pursues us even when we lack faith in him. God pursues us even when we lack faith in him. And what we ultimately see in Thomas is the perfect image of somebody who is faithless, but God is faithful. Because Thomas's salvation wasn't rooted and Thomas's faith ultimately, like success of his faith, wasn't rooted in whether or not he could piece the things together, but it was in God's pursuit and love for him. And I think that ultimately puts us in a great place to learn some things from old doubting thomas here today i have three things but i'm certain there are more things that you could learn but since i'm a good baptist preacher with three to five points uh this morning lessons we can learn from doubting thomas three of them the first is this the first lesson we can learn from doubting thomas is that doubt is a part of our journey doubt is a part of our journey in verses 24 and 25, we see something particularly interesting. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's interesting when we look at this issue of doubt. One of the things in this particular passage that's interesting is that we don't really know where Thomas was when Jesus appeared to the twelve. Well, I guess it wasn't really twelve because Judas had, you know, committed suicide at that point, and Thomas wasn't there. So uh, to the ten, there you go. So when Jesus appears to the ten, where is Thomas? Like, what is he doing? Where is he? I mean, uh, I, I, I've done a lot of research on this, and scholars have all kinds of ideas, hypothesizing of what he might have done. Uh, some people think that maybe he was so caught up in Jesus being the, the, the Messiah or, or like this political victory that, that they were going to have over the Romans that he was disillusioned and ran off. Some people think that maybe he was scared, um, and so, uh, you know, I don't want to be killed just like Jesus was. People have all kinds of reasons. They're just trying to hypothesize, well, maybe because of X, Y, and Z. But here's the interesting thing. It doesn't tell us, and that's important because I think that there are a lot of reasons why we have doubts. But regardless of why we have doubts, doubts are a part of our journey, and God still pursues us in the midst of that. As I was thinking this through, I, I honestly think there are lots of reasons why reasons why people have doubt in God. Well, some of the reasons why people have doubt in God, if you, you just kind of tease this out with me, I think sometimes people have doubt in God because of past hurt or pain. Like, because of like, I lost this loved one, or I went through this sickness or this ailment, or I went through this difficult time in my life, it's hard for me to believe that God is true and loving and good. Some of this is connected to what we talked about last week, the problem of evil. Why does God allow evil in the world? Oftentimes when people go through great suffering and trials, oftentimes is, you know, we see this morning, there's yet another, you know, shooting. We see that in Buffalo, New York at a, at a grocery store. And we see that kind of stuff and that hurt and pain. And for the people that go through that it can really uh, 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 rattle their faith and their understanding of whether or not God is real or good. So past hurt and pain often uh, does this. Sometimes it's the, the sin of others. That is to say, sometimes we see leaders or people that are supposed to be um, uh, men of, of uh, virtue men and women of virtue, people in positions of power that fail, and because of their shortcoming, because of their sin, then it causes folks to have doubts in God, which, by the way, is why it's so important for those of us who are in positions of leadership to be above reproach, to have character. I've told you all this before, and I'll say it again. I have four things that I co- challenge my kids to every single night when they go to bed ever since they were born. And they can't even talk back to me because they're little babies. But I'm like, no, I'm speaking this over you. And if you don't know these things, I tell my kids, I love them and I'm proud of them because I think those are two things that every kid should hear and be affirmed in every single day of their life from their parents. And my unique role to them as father, but I always look at, you know, starting with Jaden, I want you to be a good man, godly man, full of integrity and grace. And most of the things that we see in this world when it pertains to our leaders, they're lacking in one of those things. They're just not good people. Just do good, treat people right. I mean, it's not hard. Half the stuff that goes on in this world, if we would just be decent people, like we would be okay. And for me, who is extremely sarcastic, that's one of my Achilles heels. Uh, uh, Stop making jokes at the expense of others. And so, you know, being good. Being godly, though. It's not just good enough to be good. Like, pursue the Lord in all that you are and all that you do. Have integrity. And I always explain this to my kids. Integrity is who you are when you don't think anybody else is watching. Oftentimes when I'm talking to my kids and disciplining them, it's like, you didn't think that we knew, so you went ahead and did blank. That is not integrity. Because if the only reason why you do the right thing is because you know that I'm watching, then that reveals what's really in your heart. And be gracious. And so many of our leaders in this world, and so many of the moral failures that we see people have, if they would have just not been lacking in those four things, like we'd be okay. So I tell my kids that every single day, every single night. I make them repeat it back to me before I give them a kiss and throw, put, them in, put them to bed. And, and I think it's important. So sometimes the sin of others causes uh, us to have doubts. Sometimes we just lack understanding. Like we just don't understand how and why things work the way that they work. And so it causes us to have doubts. Another reason why people have doubts is shame. Because of the things that I have done, it causes me to lack faith in God. And connected to that, I mean, sometimes the shame that we have isn't because of anything that we've done, but maybe because what somebody has done to us. But the other reason why I think that can be connected to shame is unconfessed sin. For me and myself, I know that this was true, especially in my early years uh, when I was given lots of positions of leadership but my character was lacking behind closed doors. My unconfessed sin caused me to ultimately have doubts in God. And when we have sin that remains uh, uh, hidden in the shadows and it's not dealt with and brought to the light, it can often cause us have doubts. I don't know where Thomas was in any of the, in, of this, but I do know that he ultimately wasn't there and he had doubts. But, but the journey within our doubts is also key because regardless of why Thomas wasn't there, the point is, is that he wasn't there. And it wasn't about whether or not Peter had seen Jesus. It wasn't about whether or not John had encountered Jesus. It wasn't whether or not Bartholomew had spoken to him. It wasn't about whether or not any of the other in the disciple, the inner circle, had experienced Jesus. It wasn't about whether or not the women, the mother of Jesus, and all of the the Marys had experienced Jesus. Thomas himself had to experience God. And our faith isn't rooted on what somebody else has experienced. Ultimately, our faith has to be rooted in what we experience, our relationship with the Lord. But here's what I love about him, and this is often when I think I'm dealing with somebody who's struggling in their faith. I think we, what we see with Thomas is actually commendable in this. He has doubts, but he has clear expectations. It's not an unfocused skepticism. There's a bar, a very clear, tangible bar, that if these things happen, then I will understand. So oftentimes with skepticism, we don't even really know what it is that it would take to make us believe. We don't have a clear framework for what it is that we're looking for. We're just generally skeptical. But he's like, no, I got to see it, I got to touch it. If I see it and I touch it, then I'm good. He has a clear understanding. And what the wild part is, is that People are telling him, well, I saw it and I touched it. It's like, well, that's good for you. I need to see it. I need to touch it. I need to hear him. I need to experience the risen Christ. So it gives us a great framework. So the first thing I think we can learn from Doubting Thomas is that doubt is a part of our journey. If you don't encounter the Lord, then ultimately your faith will be shaky because it can't be rooted in somebody else's experience. It's your encounter with God. But the second thing I think that we see is that you got to be in the right place. You got to be in the right place. In verse 26, it's very interesting because in verse 26, he tells us eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Thomas's response, I think there are two responses that we see in this that are going to be key for us. Thomas's response, eight days after they told him that Jesus arose, time is accumulating, but Thomas is still within the community of faith. Thomas didn't believe, but he was still in the right place to encounter the Lord. Oftentimes when people have doubts, their immediate response is like, well, then I'm just leaving church. I'm getting away from the body. And there's more, that's more so than ever when you need to stay connected to people of faith. Where else are you going to learn? Where else are you going to see? Where else are you going to encounter God? It can't be going off over here and into craziness. No, if you were truly pursuing and trying to know the truth, then go to the place where the truth is found. It's one of the things that I find to be so, uh, you know, as a parent, it can be incredibly frustrating. When my kids are looking for something, but they're looking for it in a place that it has never been. Like, nothing drives me more insane. And I'm looking at them like, "Uh, Dad, I can't find it. Well, where did you look? Well, I looked over here. Where have we ever put uh, pull-ups in the kitchen? Then why are you in the kitchen? Have we ever stuck your ball in the refrigerator? Then why would you look for it there? Do we ever keep toilet paper underneath the TV? Then why are you looking for toilet paper underneath the TV? You're looking for something in a place that it's never actually been. And so what I love about what Thomas does is that he's got doubts, but he's actually in the right place. He never leaves the community of faith. He never leaves the place where God encounters his people, there is a blessing and a thing that where God inhabits the praises of his people. He shows up when we gather together. And in the same way, Thomas is in the right place. But it's not just Thomas's response. It's the church's response as well. Notice this. There's a key person that they love who has doubts in their midst and it's okay. I love that the disciples created an environment that somebody who was skeptical could actually come into their midst and still be loved and still feel welcome. They don't have all the things together. They're not able to articulate all the things the way that, you know, somebody who's seasoned would. But the environment and culture that they've created is inviting Because I think they ultimately understand where else could this question be answered. If Jesus has actually risen as we say that he has, if we've seen his face as we say that we have, then that needs to be reflected in the community that we keep. So, Thomas, come on in. Thomas, this is a place for you. And my prayer for us as City West Church is that regardless of where we are, no matter how small or how big we are, or all the things that we get into, that this would be a place where people who are far from God would be welcomed in, that people who might be skeptics, who might have doubt, who might uh, be angry, who might have deep hurts and pains, would be able to come into this place and say, you know what, I was welcomed, I was loved, I was brought in. I was treated as family on day one. One of the things I loved most recently about in the last couple of weeks is we've had some different visitors coming in. So one of our visitors came and looked after service and said to me, I was looking for a place where I could feel like there was family and I felt that here today. That's how it should be. We don't know who you are, but you're here, so come on in. And and, and so I love Thomas's response is to draw near to the place where those questions and doubts can be answered. And the church's response, God's people's response, was to create an atmosphere that was inviting that somebody who had doubts could be a part of the fellowship and experience God. And that's what we ultimately want. So, you you know, we have to understand when we're dealing with the issue of doubts, what do we do when people have doubts? What do we do when we have doubts? If you're struggling in your faith, then don't leave. Stay. But we've also got to create a place and a space where people who are struggling can come in and feel welcome. And there's a response From both sides of this, those who have doubts and the church to create a space for people with doubts. The last thing, though, that we'll see in this is that ultimately God desires us to encounter the truth. God desires for us to encounter the truth. Ultimately, Jesus appears to them and Thomas does exactly what he said he needed to do. And Jesus ultimately calls him to believe. And when you're in the right place to find the answer, then it's only a matter of time before you do. You know what I love about this is that it's not just that Jesus appeared, it's that he appeared eight days after they had testified about it. At any point in time, Jesus could have appeared the same time that they didn't believe. Uh, The next day, two days later, four days later, could have showed up at his house, but he, eight days, eight days pass. I think for a couple of reasons. One, because the journey is just as important as the encounter. The journey is just as important. So often we want immediate results when it pertains to our faith in God. uh, Like, God, just show it right now. But we've got to grow and be in a position to hear and receive so that in the right time, in Psalm 1, one of the promises that we have is when we uh, uh, blesses a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, nor stands away in way and mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. and all his law, he meditates both day and night, and he will be like a tree planted next to streams of living water that yields fruit in season. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. There's a season for producing fruit. My kids right now are just... You know, uh... they they're 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 enamored right now. We're growing some plants in the backyard. Uh, I I don't even remember where. I think it was when we went to the rodeo. Maybe we got some seeds or something like that. Uh, I can't remember exactly where they got these seeds from, but it's different kinds of seeds. One of them is growing a sunflower, and the other ones, growing, the other two are growing something else. It doesn't really matter. This is really Grace's project with the kids. I'm standing back from a distance. The the moment that they planted them, Grace was like, "Do you wanna?" Uh, uh, Plant the seeds or uh, hold the baby. I was like, give me the baby. Y'all go outside, y'all do that. Uh, But, um, they, they've got a little spray bottle. They're watering them and all this other kind of stuff. And you know, they're literally going like, uh, "I can't wait tomorrow when my when my sunflower is here." I'm like, "That's not the way this whole thing works." And at first, they're just staring at dirt in a little uh, pot and nothing's happening. And then the first time that uh, they started to see leaves pop through the soil, they're just like, "Oh my gosh!" If you could have seen Judah's face, uh, he's just, "Oh!" Oh, this is crazy I was like yeah man uh, that's how that's how they grow and they're like man I'm gonna have a sunflower tonight like no no you're not it's not the way this thing works you produce fruit in season there is a journey and it's important and first and foremost is that if a sunflower popped out right when that vine got three centimeters above the soil it could never be strong enough to handle that thing would just topple over And so the journey is important. It's not just producing the flower. It's the journey to get to a point where you can actually handle the fruit that's being produced. And oftentimes with our doubts, we're, we're frustrated that God doesn't answer us right now. We don't see the answer right now. And it's like, yeah, he could do that right now. But the journey is important. The journey is what helps us to appreciate and understand and ultimately receive what God has for us. And so eight days pass. Eight days pass, and eventually he sees Jesus. And he ultimately believes. And this journey to encounter the Lord is critical. It's critical. Things that are worth it often take time. The best things in life often take the most amount of time. But do you want a microwave experience? But we're in Texas, so do you want a barbecue experience? That low and slow, consistent burning of fire over a long period of time. You know what's interesting? You know why barbecue even became what it is? As I told you, I always have a food analogy in there somewhere. You know how barbecue came about? Barbecue came about because in needing to be economical in like how we would use animals, There are these large cuts of meat that if you cook them quickly are just tough and disgusting. I say this, I know brisket is king in Texas, but uh, let me tell you what happens if you take a brisket and throw it out on the grill and fire that thing up and crisp up the side and cook it over the course of like 45 minutes or whatever it is. It'll be a tough, nasty piece of garbage. And so what we, we discovered was that if you Drop the temperature down. Take these tough, rough cuts of meat and cook them low and slow, you know, brisket 12 to 18, sometimes 20 hours, depending on what you're doing. That all of a sudden, this tough, ugly piece of meat with connective tissues and things like that, all those things begin to break down and turn into like jello. And what was once this tough, hard piece of meat? under the low, slow fire becomes the most tender, juiciest, flavorful thing in the world. I know that people have doubts. But we have to be willing to walk alongside of people in the low, slow process of, being in, of encountering the Lord, being in the right place to have those answers, creating an environment where people are welcome and seeing how God ultimately softens the heart. Seeing how God ultimately transforms things that were once hindrances and roadblocks to melting those things away so that the heart is tender and ready to receive. What do you do when you have doubts? Thank you. First and foremost, recognize that that is a part of your journey there's not a single person in this room that hasn't had doubts before and probably won't have doubts about things in the future that is a part of our faith when those things happen when your faith is shattered when your faith is rocked when things become difficult don't run be in the right place continue to persevere continue to stay connected to community in the body, and then see that God actually wants to meet you. And will answer those things. I think that's what we ultimately have to see, and that's what we have to pursue. And if you're somebody who's struggling right now in your faith, I want to encourage you in those things. And when you see people in those in that place, have a tender, compassionate heart that is willing to walk along somebody the long haul. Two questions for you, our response. There's a slide for this, and we do this every single week now. What is God showing you today? When it comes to the questions of doubts, what is God showing you? Maybe it's you that has doubts What is God showing you in his word today? And the second question is, who will you ultimately share this truth with this week? How is God working in your life and how will you allow him to work through you in the lives of others? Because I believe that the things that you struggle with are probably things that other people struggle with as well. How can you be a blessing? The greatest blessing you can have is by being sure of your faith in him. Let's pray.